Isaiah chapter 26, starting in verse 1. And that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that thy righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation, you are glorified. You have enlarged, enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, into your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. Thank you. Mike said, very Christmassy. <laughs> well, we've been going through the book of Isaiah in our scripture readings on Sunday mornings, and we just have to be at chapter 26 this week. So um, uh, I've, been, I've been really enjoying going through, and Mike, Mike thank you for, for your reading uh, of, of the book of Isaiah for us during this time as well. <clears throat> now, despite what every Christmas movie tries to tell us, one of our favorite parts about Christmas is presents. Is it not? But come on, who doesn't like getting presents? Right? Do you get a present at Christmas, you're like, no, I don't want that. I don't need that. I don't want it. Go ahead and take it back. Of course not, right? Now, we all like presents. Now, again, I'm speaking somewhat silly, so it's okay. You can laugh. You don't have to be like, that preacher is just a jerk. You know, you don't have to do that. It's okay. Right? We love getting presents. 
right? Think about what's the favorite Christmas presents you've ever received, right? I asked Charity this, and apparently I'm an awesome gift giver because her favorite present that she can remember is one that I gave her a few years ago after we were, when we were, well, we, since we've been married. So within the last seven years, I hit her best mark. She's supposed to say that. It's true. And I'm probably supposed to say that one of the best presents I ever got was something she got me. I just, I'm sorry. Um, I love you so much. <laughs> when I was a kid, um, we had two years in a row where we got video game systems. <laughs> we got a Nintendo one year, and we got a Super Nintendo the next year. I'm telling you, those are two of the presents I remember the most from my childhood. Now, not to say Charity has not given me good presents. That's not what I'm saying at all. Let's make sure I dig this hole really deep before we get into the sermon. But um, I I got a Super Nintendo one year, uh, Nintendo another year, the year before that. Those two gaming systems, I can't tell you how much I played those over the years. As a matter of fact, the very Super Nintendo that I got as a kid, I have at my house right now. So um, I don't play it very often, but I do have it. Um, so uh, obviously, I, I mean, again, 20-something-year-old gaming system is still running, and it's at my house. So if you ever want to play Super Nintendo and play some retro games with me, come on over. We'll have a blast. Anyway, think in your mind, what's the best Christmas present you've ever received? And I'm sure every one of the kids could all tell you exactly what their favorite Christmas present was. Right now, even though we've all received great Christmas presents, we're going to talk today about the greatest gift God ever gave us. Right? Even though we have this kind of base discussion about 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 my Super Nintendo that I got, that pales in comparison to the to the greatest gift God ever gave us. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. Our goal this Christmas season is to look at Matthew's narrative and how he describes the birth of Christ and those immediate things going on in that, in that vicinity. Uh, to prepare us for this, there's two uh, specific passages of Scripture that are fulfilled in, these, in, in the early parts of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. So we started December looking at one of those passages. Last week we looked at another one of those Old Testament passages. And so today we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 1. Um, well, last year, just to give you some uh, background, last year we did do the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. So uh, we're going to be beginning in verse 18 today. So Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Go read along with me in your Bibles. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank you as we come to this passage this morning, as we reflect on the greatest gift you have ever given us. God, I pray that our hearts would be open. Lord, if there is someone here who does not know you as Savior, may have heard this story a hundred times, but still has not given their life to you. God, I pray that this would be a morning of renewal, or that you, you would, your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts even now. In your name, amen. Now, in the Gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies, if you will, though they're not strictly biographies, that we have about Jesus' life, in these Gospels, there's very little, relatively speaking, there's very little actually spoken about the birth of Jesus. Think about it. In this passage, there's just at the very end, and he was born named Jesus. Okay, right? And one of the biggest holidays that we celebrate is Christmas, about the birth of Jesus. In fact, the only gospel that really focuses on these events is the gospel of Luke. Mark skips over it completely and starts with Jesus' baptism. John starts way before it, all the way at the creation of the world, even before creation, starts there and then jumps right to Jesus' baptism. Skips over all of this time period from Jesus' birth all the way to uh, the time when he's baptized, when he's about 30 years old. So why, in fact, in fact, even for Christians, right, Christians didn't really even celebrate Christmas until about 336. Jesus' death is when, final, is when Christians started even celebrating Christmas, as we know it today, and on December 25th. Now again, this is not going to be a sermon about why you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, right? Uh, there is nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas. Not one single thing wrong with celebrating Christmas. But as we look at this passage, what's, what's fascinating about this passage this narrative that Matthew brings up to focus on, to, to bring up the birth of Jesus. Who is the main person talked about in this passage? Joseph, not Jesus, right? It's, hey guys, Jesus is born, but let's talk about Joseph for a second, right? It seems kind of odd. Like, we don't expect that. We may not even notice that, that Matthew actually spends most of the time about Joseph, but while Joseph is, 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 the, is the focus of the passage, or is, is talked about most in the passage, he certainly is not the focus of the passage, and this is what we'll talk about today. But why is he focusing on Joseph so much? Why is he talking so much about Joseph? I think that the best indication comes from the immediate context. As we talked about last year, as we looked at Matthew 1, 1 through 17, there's this giant list of names of all these people through whom God worked and weaved his plan to bring salvation to the nations. We, we talked about last year, and you, maybe, you may not remember this. I certainly probably don't remember everything I said last year. But, but some of these people are bad people. In fact, as we find out, pretty much every one of these people are bad people. There's no good guy in the Bible except for Jesus. Every one of these guys are sinful people. Some of the people that are used, 
slaughtered people. They, they sacrificed their sons to false gods. And yet God still used these very people to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. How great is our God? So then we get to the end of this lineage, and the last person mentioned is Joseph, who is going to be, marri- to be getting married to Mary. And so he talks more about this guy who's just a regular, ordinary guy. Right? There's not, we, as we look at this passage, there's nothing, I mean, apart from his character, which we do find some great character in him, and we could spend an entire sermon focusing on Joseph's character, and we will talk about his character to some degree here. But he's just a regular guy. He's no, it wasn't like he was the holiest man in town. And that was the guy that God chose to use to be Jesus' earthly father. No, he's just a normal guy. The guy's a carpenter. He's a laborer. He's a nobody in a small town full of nobodies. And this is the guy God uses. And again, as we said, while the text focuses on Joseph, we must remember that Joseph is not the point of the text. So let's go into the passage here. It says, now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place. All right, here's the story. Here's how it happened, is what Matthew tells us. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. All right, now, we know what that word betrothed means, right? Every, if you've ever, any lady especially is like, I know what that means, right? That's engagement, and I like it. I remember our engagement, right? I took my wife out to dinner at a fancy restaurant. We went to a park when the park was supposed to be closed, but I showed up and thought we were messing, we were doing something stupid. Yeah, true story. Um, and anyway, but we got engaged. Now, engagement was a little bit different in the first century in, in this area in Judea. Engagement was not just, although it may have been, it was not just a guy getting down on one knee at a restaurant or in a park after they were closed with the police showing up or whatever the case may be. It wasn't just that. There was a, a real legal contract that took place, very similar to our marriage license, right? This meant when, when, when somebody was engaged, they were legally obligated to that person. They were legally bound to that person, all right? It was, it was as formal as if they were already married. The consummation of the marriage had not yet taken place. How serious an engagement was in the first century. This was a serious contractual obligation, right? Now, again, that doesn't mean they didn't love each other, so let's not take that into account here, right? They certainly did love one another. In fact, we see that through Joseph's action. They, uh, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We'll get more details about that in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but we have, these, we have this uh, Mary who is, again, she's supposed to be engaged to Joseph. She's supposed to wait for their, for their wedding day. And now she's pregnant, right? She's engaged to Joseph, and now she's pregnant. The scripture tells us already right away she's with child from the Holy Spirit. So any little bit of doubt you may have had about the circumstance, the reader understands that this came from the Holy Spirit. This is something that God had done. And again, Luke tells us more details about that, about this angel showed up and said, you're going to have a child, and it's going to come from the Holy Spirit, um, and, and, uh, and things of that, of that nature. In fact, we can look at that in Luke chapter 1. 
uh, verses 26 through 38, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is the question we may also have been asking, and the question that every single person who found out she was pregnant probably would have asked. Um, uh, he will be great, and he will be called the son of, uh, son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How is that possible? How will this be since I'm a virgin? It's impossible. How in the world could that possibly happen? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And it, and it continues on from there. Now let's get into Mary's mind a little bit. Mary was probably about 15 years old at this time. Right? She's a young girl. The text says that she found favor with God. The text doesn't say that she was so holy that God picked her. Right? The text says that God looked at her and said, that's the one I want to use. Right? Not because of her own merit, but because of God's sovereign choice. She found favor with God. And then we find out in Luke chapter 1, she submits to this and says, and that's in, in, at the end of the, of the chapter there, at the end of the section there, verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, it says, Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We don't know how holy she was. We don't know anything about her past. What we do see is that God chooses her and she submits to what the Lord has said. She doesn't run away. She doesn't say, no, not me. I don't want that. I don't want whatever shame's about to come my way. She says, okay, this is what you want. This is what's going to happen. And this is the situation that Joseph finds himself in. He finds out that his betrothed is pregnant. Now, anybody is going to think exactly what Joseph thought. She cheated on me. She cheated on me. There's no other explanation. How do people get pregnant? Something has to happen here, right? We know it's not just storks showing up, okay? Something had to happen. And all the people are going to be talking about it, especially when she starts showing that she's pregnant. You can't keep this secret forever. And now he finds this out, and perhaps maybe she even came and told him, like, hey, I saw this angel last night, and, and the Holy Spirit uh, made me pregnant, and now I'm pregnant. And he goes, sure, what a story. Right? We don't know exactly what he thought. The Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what took place in the middle here. But we do find out in verse 19. It says, and her husband, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly right? Again, making the best of this bad situation. What does he say? You were unfaithful to me. I, I could have you stoned to death. 
literally, according to the law, he could have her stoned. He could have her put to public shame. She could never be able to show herself in public again. But he could make a big example of her. But he was a righteous man and probably loved her dearly and cared for her. He says, I'm going to put, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. Make a quiet affair, not really make a big deal about it, just let it be. So he makes this decision. He had already decided on this. It says he had, he had resolved to put her away quietly. He had already made this decision. It wasn't like he was like, well, should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? Should I not? He had already made the decision. And again, from one perspective, you could say that was, that was, a, nice, that was a nice thing to do. That was a, a nice way to handle this particular situation. And then, as he's considering this, as he's made this decision, and he's thinking about this, he falls asleep, and it says, but as he considered, verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He had resolved, this is what I'm going to do. Right? Maybe even tomorrow morning when I get up, I'm heading over to the courthouse. I'm going to get the paperwork together. I'm going to make sure this takes place. I'm going to let her know what I'm doing. I'm going to make sure that it's all taken care of really well. He's already got the day, the day planned out, and God intervenes. God shows up to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And again, maybe Mary had already told him this, right? I got pregnant. The Holy Spirit's the one that created the life within me. And he went, that's a likely story, right? Good try. We're going to move on from here. But here God says this is exactly what happened. Don't fear to take her to be your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Is anybody else outside of Mary and Joseph going to understand this? We live in a small town, right? Let's not be afraid to say this. The rumor mill is going to take, is going to go into full effect, is it not? Do you think that Joseph is ever going to be able to get over the fact that he married an adulterous woman? Do you think anybody's going to let him live that one down? Do you think his buddies are going to be like, are going to stop making fun of him about that? Do you think the stories are not going to be whispered every time they walk down the street? And Joseph makes a decision here, knowing what's going to happen, knowing full well what's going to take place. He responds in obedience to the Lord. Let's see what, how, the Lord, how the Lord continues to describe this. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We'll step back to this in just a second. Let's finish out how Joseph responds. Um, woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given, uh, given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. What does Joseph do? God reveals to him what is going on, what the plan is, and what his part in that plan is. Obedience. His wife, he said, fear not to take Mary, your wife. He took his wife. He married, he married Mary. Married, 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 married. Don't say that ten times fast. It's going to confuse you. But then look at this. Even the integrity he has here is so fascinating. 
So he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Bible way to say, they didn't consummate the marriage until after she gave birth. Not only did he marry her like he was supposed to, he waited. He maintained the integrity of the to have any kind of suspicion that he was actually the father. He wanted to make sure it was clear as day that this is the son of God, born of a virgin. And so he waited. What kind of character does that alone show? And then he obeys and calls his name Jesus when he's born, just like God told him to do. Now let's back up here. God describes some things about this birth of this son. He says we're going to call his name Jesus. Now why is he going to call his name Jesus? Because he's going to take away, the, he's going, uh, for he will save his people from their sins. The word, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. It's the, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua. Think Joshua the son of Nun who, you know, fit the battle of Jericho. Right? Joshua's name means the Lord saves. Joshua pointing us to Jesus, whose name he shares. Jesus, the ultimate one who would save his people. Jesus' very name means the Lord saves. We see the purpose here of Jesus' birth. The purpose of Jesus' birth was the redemption promised throughout the scriptures. Jesus was not born so we could have cute little pictures and cute little nativity scenes and see little baby Jesus, right? That wasn't the point of Christmas. That wasn't the point of this whole manger scene. The point was that God would save his people through this birth. What a great gift that God would save his people. This was part of the plan the whole time, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And when Adam and Eve first sinned, he said, the serpent, or he said the, the, he said, the seed of a woman will crush the serpent's head. From all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, throughout the Old Testament, as we saw the last couple of weeks, in just a little bit of form, God's plan has been to redeem were straying away from him. They were running as fast as they could away from him, and God was running as fast as he could to save them. And now God is bringing that redemption through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a Savior. A very special birth indeed. The life created within Mary's womb was not created by any natural resources. But that life was created by an act of the Holy Spirit, a creative act of the Holy Spirit. Just as the creative acts in Genesis 1 took place, so God creates life within the womb of Mary. Free of sinfulness, free of a sin nature, Jesus would be able to live a perfect life so that we, he could be a fit sacrifice. Ultimately, this salvation promise that is told to Joseph that he would save his people from their sins, ultimately this would be when Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the grave. It was a Christmas song I used to listen to when I was a, a teenager. Um, this band did this, this Christmas song and it says, um, uh, we celebrate the day that you were born to die 
so that I could one day pray for you to save my life. When we think about Christmas, yes, we focus on the but why was Christ born? There was one purpose for Christ's birth, so that he might die. You see, our sin deserves death. Scripture is clear about that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord. Our sin deserves death. We deserve to die because of the wrath of God poured out on our sin. That's what we deserve. Only God could forgive that sin. Only God could take on that punishment in place of us. No lamb could do this on a permanent basis. No other sacrifice, no cow could do this. Only God could take on the wrath of God to save Therefore, the Son of God had to take on humanity. eternal son of God had to add to his divinity humanity so that he would be able to suffer and die for your sin and for mine and not only that look at this verse 22 it tells us what the whole focus of this entire story is all this was done to fulfill which the Lord had spoken by the prophet behold shall bear a son you will call his name Emmanuel. What's the whole purpose of the Christmas story? It's to fulfill this scripture that God would bring salvation through the birth of a son who was born of a virgin, whose name is Emmanuel. And look at this. I love how this. He goes ahead and interprets that for us. Right? In case you don't know Hebrew, is what he's saying. Emmanuel. God with us. So the scripture is clear. Jesus is not just some great guy that lived a long time ago. He's not just some holy man or some teacher who lived a long time ago. He is none other than the fully God, fully man, divine son of God. The eternal son of God. Never lacking in divinity adding to himself humanity, God with us. The second person of the triune Godhead taking on humanity to live with us and suffer and die alongside us and by our hands so he could bring us salvation. The purpose of this text is clarified. God did all these things to fulfill Isaiah 7, 14, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. His name means God with us. And this is exactly where John starts. John starts with this truth right here, God with us. He says, in the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. He reveals later who the Word is, that is the eternal Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word is with God and the Word All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything. In Him was life, and this life was the Son of Man. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The very focus of Matthew is the same focus as Luke, is the same focus as Mark. 
Jesus Christ was born because the Son of God needed to take on humanity so he can rightly suffer and die for our sins. God has done many things for his people. If we look in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament, you see God perform miracle after miracle after miracle for his people. Right? He passes over the people of Israel in the, during the ten plagues. He splits the, the, the Red Sea wide open so his people could go across on dry land. And then crashes it down on the enemies that were pursuing them. Those are some pretty big things. Those are some pretty miraculous things. God provided food for them. Bread showed up on the ground every morning. Right? Man, I'm hungry. Oh, look at that. God brought me some bread. Right? God was your bread delivery man. Right? And God was your cook. Right? This is what the people of Israel had all through their time wandering through the wilderness. They still complained, as we'll, we'll see in a, in a while when we get there in Exodus. God has done so many things for his people. God's done so many things for us. Has he not? Just reflect for a moment on all the things God has given you. Whatever those things may be, from smallest to greatest, God the Father has done so many things for us, but nothing that he has given us compares to this gift right here. Split the Red Sea a hundred thousand times. It's never going to be able to compare. To give to die for our sins. It's never going to compare to sending his son to be a savior for us. This is the purpose of Christmas. This is, this is what this whole, why we decorate this kind of stuff. This is why we have trees. All this stuff we're doing, keep that in mind this Christmas. The whole point is to look at Christ and what he has done for us. This greatest gift that God has given us. As you give gifts to your kids, help them remember that the gifts that you give them is nothing compared to the gift that Christ gave them. What an opportunity to share the gospel to your child. Parents, if you struggle telling the gospel to your kids and sharing with them about Jesus, here's a perfect opportunity. Hey, here's a present, but guess what? This present is nothing compared to what Jesus did for you. Talk to them about that. If you haven't shared the, shared the gospel with your kids, dads, you have a responsibility to share the gospel with your kids. To shirk that responsibility is sin. But even more than that, here today, if, you've heard, if you're hearing this story and for the first time, understand what Jesus is all about. If you've never trusted the sacrifice of Christ, if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior and say, you know what, He died in my place for my sin. And you're finally realizing that and understanding that, knowing that He can do that because He's the Son of God, that He can bear that weight of your sin. Receive God's greatest gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
scriptures talk in more detail about our state and our need for a Savior in Ephesians chapter 2. If I can find it. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, describing us, describing every single one of us from the day of our birth, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we are all born God's enemies. You're not born a Christian. You're not born following Jesus. Every one of us are born as the very enemies of God, attacking the throne of God with our own selfishness and our own pride and our own sin. That is where we naturally are. the very enemies of God, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. By nature, we deserved the full measure of God's wrath to be poured out on us for our sin, like the rest of mankind. As one of my professors said, it was one of the beautiful butts of Scripture, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Salvation is only available through Christ. There's nothing you can do to get to heaven. There's no amount of religious practices you can do. Ephesians 2 continues, says, not of works so that no one may boast. You can't say, well, I went to church this week, so I'm good. Check that off the list. I helped an old lady across the street. Check that off the list. I'm good. I took communion. I did this. I did that. You can't, there's no checklist that can amount to saving yourself from your sin. There's none. There's only a Savior. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God so that no one may boast. I want to urge you today, if you are dead in your trespasses and sins and you have not been made alive together with Christ, make that decision today. As Mary surrendered to the call of the Lord, surrender to the call of the Lord in your heart today. Don't go another moment without receiving God's greatest gift. Let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank you that you do tell us about how you came into the world to bring us salvation. I thank you for the way Matthew describes this, that shows us a regular guy who was just obedient to you. And through him, you provided a, a, a earthly father to, to help with bringing your son into the not by his own genetics. But God, I thank you that you provided that protection with Joseph. But God, even greater still, I thank you that you provided a savior partially through Joseph's obedience and certainly through Mary's obedience. I pray, God, that if there is anyone here who does not know you as savior or is struggling with whether or not they're a Christian, struggling with whether or not their eternity is found in you. God, I pray they would not leave this building 
without knowing for sure how to become a Christian, without knowing for sure that they are indeed a part of your flock. Lord, I pray during this time of invitation, if anyone has any questions that they would come and ask, or after the service that they would come and ask, I pray that you would lay your hand of blessing on this time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw those to yourself that you have that you are drawing. Lord, if there's any repentance that needs to be done, if there's redirection or whatever the case may be, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be on the people's hearts as only you can be. In your name, amen.